So, today my guest is someone I've actually known for a very long time. I think the first time we met was at a CPL something like 11 years ago. Moses, how are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it had to have been a long, long time ago. Those those were the days, Tommy. Yeah, those those were the days of uh, from where the picture surfaced a couple of days ago, where a uh, prominent esports figure confused you with your brother. <laughs> it, it actually happens more than more than you'd think. Uh, but yeah, he had a lot of hair in that picture as well. Thankfully, we're both bald now, so <laughs> the dream the dream's been dead for both of us. You know, actually, we actually have that in common. We're one of the only brother combinations. Yeah, who, to have uh, ever ever played yeah. uh, professionally together. Yeah, there yeah, was exactly. who, who else was there back in the day? There was that Swedish, the Swedish brothers. Uh, Wally's one. Wally and little sure. and mini Wally, and then there was one other one, wasn't there? It was like it was like Hib and someone else. Oh yeah, uh, Solage. Yeah, for like Game Online and NIP way back when. But yeah, rare rare combinations. So I realize it's been a couple weeks now since E League ended. Originally, we planned on doing this after E League, I think, but you know, sort of, sort of got delayed. First of all, what are your thoughts overall on how the first season went? Uh, I thought I thought it went really well. Um, but well, because I think I think I look at it a little bit differently, having been involved in the production side of things. I think a lot of us, you know, that you know, the, like Anders Semler, DDK Bardoff, um, maybe even Duncan and, and Richard to an extent. Um, we're looking at it from like what what are they going to bring into the game um, production wise like what what is Turner going to come in with that we haven't seen yet in esports production uh, and I think from that aspect of it it, it was incredible um, what they're able to do the resources they had I mean it's just funny going into it because you you compare it to the productions you've been part of from esports and, and you know you want to see which one's better in your own head and, and then you realize it's not even a fair fight and it's not even a comparison you can really make. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of the sheer amount of years they've been involved, um, the number of cameras. I mean, they have you know they had like 30, 40, 50 people working on these shows every single day, which is um, usually eclipsing most esports productions for um, for for bigger events. So you know, it's just it's just tough to compare them. Um, what do you? Oh, go on. Uh, I was just going to go on to you know the other aspect of like the actual the actual league. I thought I thought went well. Um, I thought you know in terms of like taking care of the talent was awesome. In terms of taking care of the team, I think that those are like two very big underrated things uh, is taking care of the actual competitors and the people involved in the in the product. And I think everyone um, outside of maybe you know a week is a long time to be in Atlanta for some of these teams. I think outside of that. Um, I think everyone was very, very happy. All the players, you know, were always tweeting how, how good they were taking care of and everything. What do you make about the actual results? Obviously, I actually still haven't put together the prediction contest results. Yeah, we're gonna need you to. Uh, we're gonna need you to get on top of that, Tommy. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll try really hard to get it done this weekend. <laughs> I've been I've been slacking when it comes to that for sure. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the the one bracket that I that I just dominate everyone in. Um, is the bracket that that you're not able to get up on time? Well, to be uh, fair, I still haven't done the Cologne bracket either. I, this I, is true. I did like the I did like the daily updates after every day, but then I just never got around to doing the final thing. For E League, I blame the fact that I was traveling during the finals, so I couldn't do it. Uh, couldn't do it like right after, and then just sort of kept slipping. Yeah, I mean the. Uh, you know, well, I mean, I kind of let the cat out of the bag there. My, my bracket, if you guys still have that link, was um, was was pretty much accurate. The only one that the only prediction I had wrong was Mouse Sports beating Astralis. Um, but I think when you look at the results, 
Um, Virtus Pro just seems to be a team where like you can you can really tell, or at least I get this sense of like when they're when they're about to just like kind of go into plow mode. I always like when I watch them uh, in events, and as this went on, and as we saw at the major right before all these, you could see them kind of really starting to like ramp up and really get into that into that dominant mode that we've seen from them in the past. Um, and it was just a sense I got that they would just tear through that bracket and go all the way to the finals. I didn't expect it in the fashion that in the grand finals that they they just straight up dominated Fnatic, um, which was which was really incredible to see. But that that's a team that even looking at the major, you know, they've only lost to to SK at the major. They they're the only team to take a map off them in that championship championship run. So um, they're a really cool team. Um, Navi. Fnatic, I mean, these guys have been like powerhouses for most of the year. Fnatic, uh, you know, maybe dropping off since MLG, but um, they both looked weak. I think the biggest surprise, even more so than Mouse Sports making it to the semifinals, was, you know, how bad Astralis looked in the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what's going on with this team because they have all that talent. They have a lot of skill. Um, and they've always been a team that, like, you know, they were, they're the ones we always say, you know, they don't lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. They don't get upset. And we've seen it now multiple events in a row where something is like snapped within their, like mentally. Uh, and I think that's the big thing. That's one of the teams where you can actually honestly say that it's some kind of psychological factor that I think affects them. Yeah, I agree. I actually spoke to Ali yesterday for quite a bit just about, you know, random stuff. And he, we talked about Astralis. And one of the things he said is he thought that the team lost a lot of their consistency when they replaced KGB, which I think makes sense because even though he was never the, the number one star of the team, he definitely was one of the more consistent performers. So even though Device is always where he is, because of the way he sort of has like a passive play style, it's not really the carry style if no one else shows up. He'll be the carry if they do well, but it's hard from his role to just dominate the other team entirely. Yeah, and also now you have KRB, who was like the superstar, like the aggressive superstar on on uh, Dignitas before this. So he still wants to be that that aggressive, you know, he still wants to be that aggro player, that playmaking guy. And then all of a sudden, if you lose Cajun B, who, like you said, was consistent with this team, then you don't really have any kind of anything to fall back on when you, in your in your kind of composition of your team. You have a bunch of playmakers, a bunch of guys who are trying to do something, and if that doesn't work, then there's just nothing to go back on. Um, I, I mean, I think it's very telling that at the major they looked better with Glaive than they did uh, than they did with Kier B, yep. um, which is which is very worrying. Um, even even when um, even when Dupree went down and they had to play with uh, Zonic and they still put up a fight against Virtus Pro. I mean, that's still very impressive stuff, and they looked better in that matchup than they did, um, you know, in, in E League. So I don't know what's happening with that team. Um, I mean, and, and you know, Kerrigan just put out that tweet where he was literally on vacation, hadn't touched Counter Strike in like two or three weeks, and then he's just ready to get back to it. So, um, I mean, you never know how these these mental resets. It's been a long time since these players have been able to just step back from the game and focus on other things for this long. So, hopefully, that helps kind of recharge their batteries. One thing I'll say for the Glade thing is obviously at the first CPLs that I went to, my brother wasn't seventeen yet. I mean, I was I was barely seventeen at the time. So we usually had to attend with a stand-in, the first first couple CPL winners and the CPL World Tour stops in elsewhere in the world. And it really does take a while to get back to your normal play once you've gone to like a really big important event that you put in a couple weeks of practice with, with a stand-in. Because, you know, you're yeah. always going to change all the roles. So I wouldn't put that much emphasis on how Australis will do in the future on the E-League results. I think their play prior to that was more worrying for me. I don't think the E-League adds that much information 
because I really think that it takes quite a bit to sort of adjust back to how things were supposed to be with the full roster. Now, with that being said, I think I think Kirby obviously isn't going to be the same star in Astralis that he was in, in Dignitas. I don't think he's going to get the going to get all the same roles. He's not going to get the same priority to be the be the main guy of the team. So he'll have to he'll have to sacrifice a little bit because I mean, Devices has to be the main guy. Outside of that, it's like you said. I mean, it's a it's a worrying team. They they look incredibly good on paper. They should have all the all the ingredients to be the world's best. They should be able to counter almost every playing style. And it, frankly, just baffling that they don't have any better results to show for it. Yeah, and, and it even goes back to when they were making semifinals and not winning events, where you would watch them play and you. Because I still see the same thing now when I when I watch them play, I don't see any like massive mistakes and and how they're playing as a team and how they're playing, even uh, sometimes as individuals. It just seems like something, you know, when they were hitting those semifinals, something would always click like late in those semis, and all of a sudden they just wouldn't hit any shots. Like they'd still be playing the exact same way, they'd still be playing fine, they'd still be playing really good like fundamental Counter Strike. It was nothing innovative. They were just playing very simple and smart CS, and then all of a sudden they wouldn't be able to hit shots. And now we're just starting to see that much earlier on in terms tournaments uh which i which i think is pretty worried but you know i want to before you respond to that like tommy how possibly did you guys not get into cpls i was 15 at my first one we used the passback system with my brother you could just yeah. pass back the ids yeah god damn i'm, <laughs> I'm extremely extremely bummed considering you know, what i missed CPLs, out on. cpls are my first fake id ever Man. I, didn't, I didn't get a fake ID to drink. I got a fake ID to sneak into fucking video game tournaments. I've never had a fake ID, but I would have got a fake ID for my brother for that. Goddamn. <laughs> I, I don't know how to go back to E-League now because I'm too bummed out. <laughs> all, all those disappointments a decade ago, wow. All for, all it's for all, nothing. It's all rushing things, back to you. Things could, have, things could have been so much better. It's just uh, such a massive disappointment. I knew that to be fair, I knew that some people would do that, but the problem is that my brother was so so young when we first broke through. It was like fourteen, and then I think yeah. around the time we went to like a went to a CPL where we would have been competitive, and I think we made top eight at the uh, place seventh at the two thousand six winter CPL with the only team to, to take a map from Fnatic who won. At that event, he was, I think, sixteen, but the problem is everybody knew that he was underage, so I think it's easier yep. if you sort of. If you sort of already go through there and you're just part of the mess, whereas everybody always talked about him being incredibly young. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. But anyways, um, I'm not sure if there's that much to add on Astralis. I think the, the other thing that I want to talk about with, with regards to E-League results is that I don't want to take anything away from Virtus Pro. Obviously, they looked incredibly good at the Major. They really could have beat NSK and really could have won it all. But... I think a big part of why they were able to win E-League, especially so convincingly, is the fact that there's rumors of tons of big changes taking place in the current offseason that's going on with the teams on vacation that I would assume will all be coming out in the next one or two weeks. And, I mean, that just had to affect how the other teams are playing, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, if you're if you're in one of the teams where you know roster changes are swirling around it, um, I mean, the big thing is you could see that kind of effect. And the only the only reason why I, I lend credence to some of these um, rumors that have been going around is because the teams played so badly. Like, if you're in part of one of these lineups and there's just you know the standard roster change rumors swirling on Reddit and on, on forums and everything like that. I don't think it's that big of a deal as a player. I think it's very easy to ignore it. 
Um, but when there's when there's that you know hint of truth to it, and you kind of know it's coming, that's that's when you're when you get really effective. So uh, the simple thing was obvious. I mean, we were we were seeing that one coming from a mile away. Um, and then the other big rumors are the Fnatic ones, which which is pretty interesting. The Fnatic and NIP exchange, if that if that's something that's going to happen. But um, yeah, we all. The interesting thing about Fnatic to me is, you know, for for almost like last year where Olaf was just like a god for for basically a year straight, we were all just kind of wondering what is this team going to look like if Olaf ever like dips because we felt like he was he was playing so good that it was covering up a lot of. Um, a lot of the issues in that team in which they, they still, like ever since Pronax left, they still play a very individual um, style early on. It's kind of like see what you get as an individual and then play as a team in the mid in the mid rounds. Uh, and it's worked for them because they're so talented. But now that Olaf's kind of dropped off, it's almost like they don't have that safety net. They don't have that guy they can just lean on and, and to bail them out of a tough spot. If two people die on the other side of the map, you know he's always the guy who's able to make something happen for the rest uh, for the rest of the round. So now that he's dipped off, this team looks like they have some serious issues. So um, not surprising that we're going to start seeing some changes. I don't I don't think. Yeah, no. I mean, you could you could tell that the team just wasn't the same ever since Olaf came back. I think the first week first week of E League they looked really good. Olaf played well, but I think by the time the major started, you could sort of tell that it wasn't the same. I think ECS was the first sign where. I think the Fnatic over the old days easily beats G2, probably goes on to win the tournament. And once that didn't happen, you sort of start start seeing cracks. And I think the major sort of just showed that, you know, it wasn't the same anymore. Yeah, well, my, my, my question is always, because, I mean, you still see with him, not so much Guardian, but with Olaf, you see, like, you see a little bit more flashes of that old style before, like, pre-injury Olaf. So I'm just like in my head. I'm trying to think of like how long do I do I give him to give this injury like you know credence? Where I'm just like okay, so he hasn't fully recovered from the injury quite yet, um, you know? Because I, I even know he's even talked about part of it isn't necessarily the actual physical injury. It's more so the the confidence and the mental game around it is you know just thinking is he going to be able to play the same way? So um, I know that's part of it, and there's there's really no time limit on recovering mentally from that kind of an injury. Um, but but how how long is there until we just say okay that arm's got to be fully healed at this point? Same with Guardian because Guardian hasn't hasn't had that swagger to him um, in some time since coming back. Yeah, no, I mean you you never know. It's uh, I think Larry Bird once said that you're never the same once you go under the knife. I mean I guess these guys didn't really get surgeries, I would assume. But you know I think the same still same still applies. Um, I guess enough for the teams for now. So let's talk about E League. In terms of uh, in terms of how we structured, so first of all, obviously, I think once you see a big league like this being put together, the first thought that came into my mind is, I mean, this is something you want to make exclusive, right? Because it's obviously modeled after North American sports leagues. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if they did that deep of thought into it. Because I mean, I know, I know what you're saying, but I, I just know from being there, I think a lot of it had to do with. They had to find ways to make each each week interesting, um, and they also needed to do it very quick because some of the top teams, especially the European teams, didn't sign on until like two weeks before the league even started. So I mean, you know, they have they have all these all these things they have to arrange. Um, and they had a very short time to do it. And I think this is just the best product because they also had to had to manage the fact that teams would be traveling for other events. 
they couldn't be away from home for for super long. Um, so I mean, they basically had to come up with some kind of idea that would that would allow a lot of flexibility for the teams in terms of scheduling, but also have these meaningful weeks. And this is kind of what they came up with. I don't I don't think it was modeled to have any kind of like North American franchise model. Um, and I think really, the, I think all things considered, all the factors that, that I heard discussed when, when I arrived, um, talking with people who, who had had a part in making this format, um, I, I think this was a pretty pretty cool system. I'm, I'm glad we got to try it. It was a little bit long. Um, I think all the teams looking at, at from the outside in the first couple weeks were like, yeah, this is... Uh, this is really cool. Like this is a cool format. Like we still have the group stage, which you know it doesn't. You know the games are somewhat meaningless, but they give us seating. But you also can't get knocked out in the first two days of this league. I think what I think it just got surprising how tiring it was for me from a talent perspective being there for all ten weeks. Uh, it was almost like having a, an event that you were at um, each week. Um, and then also once the last chance qualifier came out the week after the, the major, all the teams that were at the last chance qualifier and in the, in the quarterfinals, semifinals, that's when I think teams were just starting to be like, okay, this is, this is getting a little bit long. Uh, we're basically in Atlanta for, um, you know, two, two, three weeks straight, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I also think a part of the problem is that even though there were other events, obviously if you have an event like this and it's going to take, well, like six, eight nine, ten weeks, yeah, you'll have other tournaments at the time, but you're never going to have all the top teams at all of them. And that's what we saw, basically, during the time where we had some tournaments like ECS and DreamHack Summer, EPL Finals, yep. but none of those, I guess EPL Finals was right before, but none of those were, like, true top events, because some of the teams would always be locked away. So I think, in a, in a weird way, and this is something that Peter brought up in a conversation with me, I think E-League actually helped with the oversaturation problem because that sort of stopped a lot of these tournaments from happening at the same time, yeah. which is which is good for the oversaturation point. It, it's bad because effectively, effectively, just by the by the format that E-League has, it sort of has like a monopoly on the calendar for how long the how long the league's gonna be. Well, also, I don't I don't think we're gonna see that happen again. To be honest with you, because I, I think that a lot of organizers, I, I think E-League worked with a lot of the organizers to kind of. Um, carve out this section for their first season and everyone was kind of like taking a step back and they're all just kind of like all right let's let's everyone kind of observe what what Turner's going to do during this first season they have let's not run too many events um, obviously you can see ESL and Turner work together to have that week seven buy for when Cologne was um, but I don't think we'll see that moving forward especially the end of the year I don't think that E-League is going to have this I don't I think it's just going to get right back to that oversaturated looking at the schedule of how many events there are at the end of the year um, I mean EPL starts up next week E-League starts in October uh, and then we also have what the second ECS season has to go on still um, there's rumors of another league coming out that I've heard of uh, there's probably like eight or nine events so I mean there's just not enough time in the end of the season for, for these things not to overlap so that, that was nice for the first season it, it really was um, but, but I don't think it's going to happen again do you think E-Leagues are I mean obviously you can't comment on even on stuff that you might know but from a hypothetical perspective do you think the next, next season is going to be shorter do you think they're actually going to actively shorten it down to say half of what the first season was or do you think they were happy with how long it was in the end, despite some of the complaints from the community? Um, I actually, I, I do actually have to just avoid answering that, just because I don't even know what's been released from E League. Do, do you have any idea of what what they've released so far about season two? No, have they released anything. I don't. I don't think there's anything official. I would assume in the Reddit M and A there might be something. Okay. Yeah. Let's but just I, let's just I avoid know. it to be safe. I, um, 
I, I think I think they're going to change. They're definitely going to tweak some of the things of the season. Uh, I, I can't exactly talk about what, but I, I know that coming at the end of season one and going into season two, and this is one thing Turner did great with us all all season long, was when we had feedback, they they very much listened to it, um, and they very much bring it into their meetings with with the higher ups at, at Turner, and they bring it into their discussion of, of what they want to do going forward. And they are very much accommodating because this is that's the area where they look at the community and they look at you know um, us as the production staff that they brought in uh, are working on the production, and they say you know this is the area of expertise that we don't have. This is where like you know we need help and we need advice, and and we have our experience modeling off traditional sports. But if we're doing something wrong, you know tell us, and we will look at changing it, and we will look at the options, and we will weigh them. Uh, and move forward with something different, hopefully. Um, so I, I would imagine they would take all that criticism. They, they monitor everything on, on the Internet, on, on Reddit, on, on Twitter. Um, so they have a general pulse of the feeling of what they're doing. Uh, and I imagine they're going to make some changes. Um, yeah, I, I knew that was going to be a dangerous question to ask, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be bad. I just don't. I I haven't. I mean, this you know, I haven't really kept track of everything that they have said about season two, um, and it's hard, you know, in my brain to separate what I've discussed with them about season two and what's actually been said public. So, just for safety's sake. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean it's the off season for you too. Right? I saw your travel calendar. I think it was on Reddit or something. That was uh, that was brutal. So yeah, I, I, was, I, I would uh, hope that you're also enjoying the time off. Yeah, it's coming to a quick end though, um, which is, which is what's really messed up is since I've been essentially traveling for traveling for the entire year. Once I'm home for like three or four days at a time, like two days in, I'm just like, I'm like, all right, why am I still here? Why am I not like on an airplane? Why am I not going somewhere? Like super bored, sitting at home. So, um, I've kind of I, I kind of have to relearn how to be able to to chill and relax. I guess that's, that's frightening. Uh, so the one one question I asked in the in the Reddit M and A was whether the viewership would affect future plans. Now, E-League obviously quickly said, no, it's not going to be the case. They're going to run season two as was planned. But do you actually have any insight on what kind of expectations E-League might have had for viewership overall or how they did based on those expectations and what actually came out of it? Um, in terms of in terms of TV, I, I know in terms of all their their social engagement, the engagement they had with the stream and online, I, I know they loved that. Um, you know, every time we spoke to them, it, it was not just like your standard. Yeah, this is great. It was it was very much like holy holy shit. This is like we're, we're kind of surprised we're getting, um, you know, all this. Like this is this is awesome. Uh, in terms of television ratings. Um, I have no idea what they were aiming for, to be honest with you. Um, it's something we, we asked them many times, and I think they obviously purposefully didn't really tell us what kind of a rating we were looking for, or they were looking for. Um, and they, you know, I don't, obviously, I don't think we blew anyone out of the water, but I, I think they kind of did a smart thing where they did put us in that, in that Friday night death slot um, where, you know, we're, even if we don't do that great, it's not like they're losing out on anything massive. You know, they, they know we weren't going to beat the numbers of uh, whatever show that was, the Big Bang Theory reruns. Um, but also, the, you know, they're not they're not putting us into some kind of primetime slot where if we do poorly, they're, they're just bleeding money. Um, and, I mean, that that's kind of the thing. We all went into it and we're just like, we don't know... We don't know anything about TV ratings. You know, everything we do is, is based off Twitch numbers. So we're we're looking at the Twitch numbers and we're asking them, how are the TV ratings? Is what you guys were looking for? Are we hitting the numbers? And they're like, stop worrying about the TV ratings. We don't. You know, it's not the only thing we're looking at for this show. Um, this is a long term plan that we have. 
Uh, and I'm sure you heard that same spiel in the in the, in the Reddit AMA, so mm-hmm. uh, I won't go into it again. But as far as I know, the, the the television numbers, while not being great, also didn't like set off any red flags or, or you know, it wasn't like sound the alarm among Turner. Yeah, and I would also guess that the uh, the demographic that they reach through E-League is probably fairly valuable, considering <laughs> yep. like the 20 year olds sub and over 20 year olds who probably don't usually watch TV, let alone that time of the night. I know that's one of the things where We've seen we've seen some of the majors and a couple of Finnish tournaments in, in TV broadcasted by like one of the national national TV channels in Finland that everyone gets, and the viewership is it's it's pretty good, especially comparative. I ran this uh, little thought exercise on Twitter some time ago asking about asking about how many people get TBS in the U.S. Sort of just to compare what we get in Finland for people who uh, people when they show uh, show the Counter Strike tournaments, right? And in Finland. The numbers aren't amazing, but the one thing they said is, first of all, it's good for the time slot that we get, which is usually like 11 p.m. on a Saturday when no one ever watches TV. And it's a TV channel that's, you know, usually filled with like documentaries or something because it's like a national channel. And it's a demographic that they can never, ever get because of the stuff they show. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the big thing as well, even even with TBS. I mean, you know, the, that young group. The, you know, the group that's about to, like, graduate, you know, that's going into college and then graduating from college, and they're going to be the ones making the the, the next money. They're going to be the next generation of spenders, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's the big thing that we have going for us as well is that demographic is super valuable to uh, to marketing and advertising and everything. So um, that's really cool. And apparently, I don't know how they calculated this, but I guess they have, like, an increase, like, something like four-something million new new viewers to TBS or something like that. I don't know how that was calculated, but that's that's pretty sweet. Um they got to be happy about that one. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Because the kind of people that usually just watch Twitch streams, but if they're able to get this at home, because I understand TBS is very popular. If you just have, like, basic basic cable, apparently, you get it in the U.S. pretty much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely get a lot of new viewers. But I, I suppose that's probably all we've got on E-League, unless there's still something that I'm missing out on that you think we should touch on. Uh, only if you wanted to... Only a few, you know. I I have a question, and maybe this is a better question for Yanko next time I speak to him. But um, I was surprised by by Mouse Sports, um, and I'm at the point where I'm wondering because this is the lineup that's been together for some time. I'm wondering if their coach Kassad, I mean, it has anything to do with this. Like, if, did you see? I, I don't know how much you're able to watch um, the playoffs of Mouse Sports, but um, they they looked. They played as a pretty solid team. I mean, with with Chris J helping out Nico, um, but they were playing some really good Counter Strike there at the end. No, that was that was very surprising. I mean, even Yanko had given up on them. This was yeah, the time. even Yanko had given up on them. That's that's something special. I think obviously Nico had a poor showing in in Cologne, and I think the fact that he no longer leads, needs to lead is valuable. Uh, I spoke to Pedar about this when I did my podcast episode with him. Obviously, he's from the region, so he knows both Kassad and and Nico at least to an yeah. extent and he said that while they're not like best friends or anything obviously Nico respects Kazad's opinion which I you know if you're if you're considered the world's best player by some you're definitely a top three player it's probably fairly easy to you know build up an ego where when people tell you you're wrong about something or you shouldn't have done something something else you sort of discount that and say well I know better so I think from that perspective it's very valuable that they found someone who both un- seem to understand Counter-Strike and actually knows Nico on a personal level. 
I will say from from talking with Nico at events and everything, and I hope this stays with him because you know he's he's still got many years ahead of him in his career. If or if he stays as one of the best players, he is one of the most humble humble people I've you know humble star players that I've um, that I've seen out there. Uh, so I hope that sticks with him. I hope he doesn't spend like two years being the best player in the world, and all of a sudden, like you know, 2018 comes and he's just like a, a dickhead. Uh, that would be a little bit of a bummer, but hopefully that sticks around. Um, no, look, that might not be a bad price to pay for being the world's best player for two years. Just saying. Yeah, true, true. There, there are worse things out there. Yeah, as long as you get some team success on top of it instead of just going out in the quarters. But, but I agree. I mean, some of the wins Mouse Sports pulled off, especially the uh, the comeback win against Faze, was super impressive. Yeah. But I, I guess it's only a matter of time now until uh, until Oscar joins, according to all the rumors. So curious to see how, how that affects it. Supposedly, from what I've been hearing, they're going to have double ops from that point onwards. That probably means Nico's never opting again. Because why he's probably never gonna hop over Chris J and Oscar, but I'm I'm kind of worried about how the fit is gonna be. I think I think Oscar definitely is a better player than whoever he replaces, but I'm not sure he's gonna be as effective. Because I think in Hellraisers he he had fully full re, uh, free reign over everything he wanted to do. I know that was the case also when he played for the Czech teams back in 1.6 and was like the clear standout performer in those. But in Mouse Sports he's gonna be the second star at most and. I mean, if, if Nico keeps playing, sort of doing whatever he wants, which is how he's most effective and how it makes makes most sense to use him, at least to, to some extent, you cannot give Oscar free reign. You have to sort of tell him what to do. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to be curious to find out how, how he excels in that role. That, that is kind of the worrying thing, bringing a new player into that team, is, is everyone's kind of going to be holding their breath, just seeing how it affects Nico. I think that's going to be the really interesting thing. Is I'm not necessarily even interested in how Oscar does. I'm more interested in, in how it affects Oscar. I mean, uh, I'm not. We rephrase that because I just I feel like I just ruined everything. But I'm not so much interested in that roster change of how Oscar does. I'm more interested in, in how Nico's going to do after he comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe it does kind of lend itself to the sense where I just said that Nico's one of the most humble humble stars there is out there. Um, that maybe he's he's gonna be very very willing to work with him, and I think that that might be something that I think Nico's the kind of guy at the moment who is more than willing to take a step back individually. If if Oscar coming in, if he's gonna provide more as an individual, then that's gonna help the team um, on a team wide scale. Then I, then I think Nico's gonna be more than more than happy to do that and make that kind of a sacrifice. Um, so that will that will be kind of cool to see how that change happens. If it still does, that's the other thing. I mean that that. From all the, from everything we've heard and all the rumors, that contract has been signed for for a couple months, and they're just waiting for the Hellraisers thing to end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of just like sitting here, and he's probably you know just waiting with this contract signed. He's like, please, Mouse Sports, don't do good, don't do good, don't do good. I still <laughs> want to come. So I mean that that's that's got to be such a weird scenario for him to just have to sit on the sideline and then see them have their biggest success. Um, and for Mouse Sports, those players have just got to be like, all right, we just did, you know, we made the quarterfinals uh, or the of, or the semifinals of E League, uh, and we're still going to have this roster change. That's a bit of a bummer for them. That's actually a perfect perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is North American Counter Strike. Usually, Beautiful. a topic that's that's hard to talk about, but you know, now we have the foremost expert on the subject <laughs> right after Yanko. Um, yeah. So you you talked about how it might be hard to replace someone after the biggest success they had. Well, I've got a good comparison for you. Yeah, yeah. Kim's flying over to North America on the 16th, according to his Twitter, and he's going to be replacing Simple, who's fresh off of 
what probably his best tournament showing ever um his best placing ever liquid's best placing ever uh and north american team's best placing ever in csgo that's that's gonna be some large shoes to fill it's just so north american isn't it yeah, it's just so North American. No, you couldn't. You couldn't script it better, could you? I, I mean, at least in this case, we kind of we knew this was going to happen um, before the event. It's not. I think the crazy thing was, I think the community and everyone kind of had the sense after they made the finals, where we kind of said, "There's, there's no way he leaves. There's no way Liquid lets him leave. Um, they have to work something out. Like they're definitely going to work something out to where." Both parties can get what they want mm-hmm. um, after that kind of a performance, and I, honest to God, I think it it might have it might have worked had the had the Navi offer not been there. I think if it's any team but Navi, I don't think Simple. I think Simple finds a way to you know maybe play from Ukraine for the majority of the time, and then a European boot camp before the big events or a North American boot camp before North American events. Um, and I think they find a way to make it work. But uh, you know that you can't really say no to Navi. Um, the issue is. Because Pimp actually played very well in E League as well when um, when his team when SK the old SK was was here in Atlanta, uh, and he's had he's had very good stretches in the past and he was through a little bit of a slump until that kind of explosion at E League where it did you know he, he's probably playing for a contract a little bit at that point because I think he was talking to Liquid at that time, um, but you know he's he's a very very good player when he's on he's very. Um, you know, I think he's actually a pretty smart and intelligent fundamental player. The issue is when you're filling those simple shoes, you, you lose so much in terms of playmaking and in terms of something coming from nothing. Because Simple's one of those players where the most impossible situations seem to go his way. And there's 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 been players like this in the past, and they're always considered some of the superstars. I know, I know Fraud was considered one of these players that could make something happen out of nothing, where all of a sudden he would just make some kind of magic. Um, where, where shots that are generally impossible... Uh, for 99% of the professional players, you know he's the one. He's the one that's going to make that work. And I think you saw that with the double no scope on Cash against Fnatic. I mean, that's like a one in a million round that he gets go his way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you're, you're missing a lot of playmaking. And I mean, that that's that's kind of the scary thing is when one of the videos I've wanted to make uh, during this vacation is kind of do do a power ranking of the North American teams. And and you look at even just the top two spots. Um, Liquid and Cloud9 are like you know they're they're the ones you put up there, but you know Liquid's about to have Pimp come in, so who knows what they're going to look like, uh, and then Cloud9 you know just drops uh, Slummy after after having a really really good series against Navi where they probably should have should have eliminated Navi, and all of a sudden they're going to be changing a player, so it's just such a North American thing to do at the moment is once you're having some success you're, you're making these changes. Yeah, no, I mean the the one thing I've said ever since uh, since people start like. I, I brought up the point during Cologne that I said I thought there was no way that they let Simple go. Obviously, once, you know, Navi starts calling, yeah. no way Simple wants to stay anymore because that must have been the dream team for him by far. But anyway, I was at the, at the time when I was saying that Simple should stay and there's no way he doesn't, people were saying, well, you know, Simple's going to be better off in the team. Oh, sorry, Pimp's going to be better off in the team because he gets, gets along with people. He's a good player. And Pimp, by the way, is a good player. Uh, he's probably even a little underrated from his yeah, current teams. I think so as well. But but the one thing I will say against him is he's also had personality issues yeah. with teams. He's gotten kicked from a couple teams from that, and it might have might have had to do with the fact that he was he never got to join the uh, the former Dignitas TSM Korean Astralis guys when they've been they've been freewheeling players in for the fifth slot. So I think that's something something to consider that I think people are overlooking. 
and frankly, it's a bit of a risk for Liquid, considering how we went with Simple. They took a risk on someone's personality. It didn't exactly pan out. It's a little surprising to me that they're willing to just take another chance right after instead of going for like a safer bet, I guess. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think also that that all happened so quickly. That whole that whole JDM and Pimp thing. Because I remember I was talking to both JDM and Pimp. They both came to me and asked, um, you know, asked me to talk to Liquid for them, at least to open up the conversations to get them to get their foot in the door, so to speak. And I was actually surprised with how quickly that moved. I remember even having the conversation with JDM. I was like, listen. Um, they're obviously you're you're the best offer in North America. They're obviously going to want you, but you got to be patient. This is probably going to take a while to negotiate contracts with CLG and however the buyout's going to work, or if they're just going to wait for your contract, whatever it might be. Just be patient with it. Don't like don't try and force the issue too much. Uh, and then I think it was like the next week that that he was that the announcement came out. So I was like, oh well, fuck me, right? Yeah. Uh, and same with Pip. I think Pip was was very quick as well. So. Um, I, I think Liquid, especially spurred on by Hiko, this might be one area where, because even Hiko said he hadn't even spoken to Pimp before before Cologne. I think he said that in an interview that he hadn't even talked to Pimp a single time. Um, you know, in, in terms of how they were going to play, hadn't even played with him yet or anything like that before they signed him. So uh, it is going to be pretty interesting to see how that team comes together now. Um, and and it would be cool to see if they went back if they if they would do something different if maybe they they look at simple as a player and they were just like we need to pick up a fifth who has the same kind of playmaking ability you're not going to match that kind of skill or that kind of impact but maybe you do go for someone you know you have Nitro and Elise who um, aren't these massive super creative playmakers they they do their job and they make plays within their role um, but maybe you do go for a different fifth who who has a little bit more of that individual explosiveness. So what's your realistic case for Liquid? What what do you actually expect Liquid to do in the rest of 2016? Like, what's what do you think is a realistic ceiling for them? Uh, what's the worst case scenario? What actually probably is going to happen? Um, I think worst case scenario for for this team is is something doesn't work with Pimp, um, and they have to go back on the hunt for a new player if that kind of like personality that you know issues that we just talked about come up. Um, I think that would be a nightmare for this team who's never been able to have like who has so much talent but hasn't been able to settle on any kind any semblance of a stable roster. Um, I think that would be the next biggest nightmare. What I would like to see them do, I, I think, especially without the major, and I'm a little bit bummed actually from Team Liquid um, that they're not going to Northern Arena, which is that Toronto event that I, that I think uh, maybe some of the Europeans don't know too much about. It's gotten some publicity, but it's it's quietly going to be a really cool tournament for people who like North American Counter Strike. Uh, but they're not going to be at that event. I, I would like by the end of 2016, now that there's not a third major, I just want to see them solidify themselves as the best team. Um, I, I want them to be the best team in North America uh, because this is this is a spot that. You know, Liquid, this this roster, whatever roster Liquid's had over the past two, two and a half years, on paper with Nitro and Elise, you know, the, me personally, I've always looked at them and been like, this is the one team that's going to be able to actually take over Cloud9 and be that, be that you know, unquestioned number one team in North America, and they've never done it. Um, so that's what I would like to see out of them. Realistically, I think that, um, you know, them and Cloud9 are just going to have some battles uh, on land, and they'll probably still be in that spot where, depending on who you like more, you can just have your opinion of which one's better than the other. Um, but I think Liquid will, will be the better team against the Europeans, oddly enough. I don't know how that works, but that's the way it's always done in NA. So that brings us to Cloud9. They actually started improving ever since they brought on Slemmy. Uh, 
obviously the whole whole time when Jordan was uh, nothing was their in-game leader definitely wasn't working out. That was something that was I actually had minor hopes for it. I, I thought it could have gone at least better than it did, but it was just uh, it was just a train yeah. wreck. But once Lemmy joined, they started improving instantly. Obviously, he brought in brought in a system with him, and it just made the team better. And now finally, in the summer, they've actually had some good results. Like you said, they probably should have beaten Navi in the match at E League. They had a bunch of close series or close games against other teams, and you you could actually tell that they were making progress. And now, reportedly, Slemmy might become the team's coach. Step down, and I mean I I have no information on this, but I I would guess that Tarek is probably one of the favorite guys to join the team, considering he left CLG. Now the different question is whether he does that now or in January, or whenever that may be. But what what do you make of the whole Cloud Nine situation beyond obviously what you already said that just a little bump they're making changes once they were finally making progress. I think oddly enough, they've they've kind of screwed themselves over the past over the past years. Ever ever since you know Sean and and freaking you know ever since the end of last summer, if you look at this roster, I've said this a couple times that they have no options really except to have that fifth be a rotating door. Um, Shroud, nothing, and Stewie. These guys, these three guys, are too big of brands to like actually let go from the team from the organization standpoint. Like the, the, these guys just bring too many eyeballs. Um, and they and they do too much from from that standpoint. Not even in game. Uh, and then Skadoodle is just just talented. Um, you know, despite all of his issues, he's still he's still a very very strong opper in the region. So I mean, you can't really let him go because there's no one else you can pick up outside of JDM to really fill that slot. Um, the issue, Slummy did bring this kind of new system, but I mean, the problem with it is. It, it works great against North American teams. I mean, it, it definitely improved there, but with the amount of impact he brings on an individual level, you could tell that they were just never going to compete uh, with European teams. Maybe not that. Not that they wouldn't be able to compete, but you could tell they were never going to make like these deep runs. You never got the sense that they'd ever be able to have those kind of runs they had last summer where they would be able to beat um, or win an event. You know, that they might be able to upset a team here or there, but like the goal should be to win the whole event. And, and you knew that was just never going to happen with, with Slemmy in there. And actually, even just talking to some of the players, I'm not convinced that um, Slemmy was doing all this work that can't be replicated by someone else. I don't, I don't, like, I don't, in terms of calling and preparing, I know, I know Stewie has started calling some rounds uh, mid game, uh, making some of the decisive calls. Maybe when he sees a play he can make and he just, like, kind of changes the play surrounding whatever he wants to do. Uh, I'm not sure how it all works, but I know just talking to him, he's mentioned that he's he's made some calls in the game, and even nothing when he was calling. You know, they had a game on Mirage, I think, that one against Luminosity in week one of E-League, where they upset him on Mirage. Um, they came out after that and said that Stewie was calling in that game. I believe it was that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stewie was, like, the caller on Mirage for whatever reason. He's, like, some kind of Mirage savant. Uh, but so, I mean, I'm not entirely sure that Slebby is going to be this, this massive loss to them in terms of what he's brought to the table since he joined and what will be missing. Um, the big question is whether they keep him on as coach or not, uh, if he'll be able to actually have an impact from a coaching role. Yeah, I, I guess that would be that would exactly be it because there really aren't that many people who could lead Cloud Nine should he choose to lead. So I think from that perspective, it's just valuable to have him on because it's it's very different to give input here and there, and sometimes have good ideas and have to have a decent idea at all times every single half. And I got to imagine 
calling from the in or from the coaching role has got to be so difficult, especially compared to calling if you're actually playing the game. I mean, there's there's going to be two different struggles with it because obviously, if you're playing and calling, your attention is split between, um, you know, actually fragging and actually you know marshalling your troops. But I think from that from that coaching role, it would be I think Starx would be a really interesting person to talk to for this since he's done it both ways. Um, and, and that's the thing if Slemmy's not actually being the in-game caller at the moment for Cloud9 then why why in God's name would you ever switch him to the coaching role and have him call from there um, so I mean they still have some decisions to make with, with that team but I still I mean that team is just too much talent to really not be one of the best teams in North America looking at the rest of, of uh, rest of the um, rest of the North American leagues and just looking at the teams that are involved it's like Cloud9's still going to be up there competing I actually disagree with that assessment um You'll, you might remember, I wasn't allowed to play at the WCGs when I was on EG. Yep. But I was allowed to call during freeze time. And I actually did, did something similar for ENDS this, uh, this previous weekend at ASROG. Wasn't really allowed to call, but you know, I was able to give input. And I'm actually, I'm actually a firm believer that it's significantly easier to call as a coach than it is as a player. Because despite playing with, playing with some really good teams myself, and people who are good communicators, things like that, you just see so much more when you're standing behind players and you see everybody scream and you hear the comms. I, I just think that it's it's very beneficial to be see everything, and I think I think it's easier to call as a coach than it is an, as an in-game leader. And in fact, I would go as far as to say that those WCGs when I wasn't allowed to play and I was forced to coach, I think that made me better as a caller because I noticed a lot of the lot of little flaws and you know mistimings and things like that that weren't really frankly being communicated to me. So that that's actually something that I I disagree with. I think I think you can be a better caller and you're likely to be a better caller as a, as a coach as long as you can bring the same kind of focus on that because that's obviously the big problem, right? Whether you're going to be dedicated in a sort of like a six man role because it's not really the same as playing, is it? Yeah, I mean, my, don't you feel like I always noticed as a player, um, I had like this kind of like sixth sense formed where like you would just have kind of like that gut feeling of what your opponent was doing in a, in a certain situation and you would make a play off that, that kind of gut feeling that there's no explanation for you having it. You just kind of, you know, there's something going off in your head, something whispering like this is the play that's being made. This is what you should do. Um, you don't think that that you lost that when you get into that coaching role and you have to call like don't don't you did you have that kind of similar sense when you were when you were playing as you know as a caller well like you said i think it's i think it's subconscious right you don't think about it it just sort of happens i think you still get it the same and honestly i just thought it was incredibly easy to read the other team as a coach i think it's significantly easier to read what the other team is doing because just by the virtue of being able to see all your all your players' screens while also listening to the comms, you basically just get more information. And if you're one of the guys who's been doing this, you know, just without thinking about it, I mean, if you're a, if you're a top level in game leader, it's all subconscious, right? Basically, yeah. what you're getting is you're just getting more information and more data to base your decisions on. And I just I honestly just think that it's a far superior superior way to call. I, I wrote this a couple of years ago when people first started talking about coaching and based on my experience i really think you're going to be able to be a better caller from a coaching position than as a player oh that's that's pretty interesting i wonder i wonder that, that's why like i would love to talk to someone like starx or zeus who's now going back to leading from a playing role um i would wonder if they would have like a similar feeling about it yeah uh, no it's, cool. it's probably something that we should poll other people more on the problem is 
when I, when I was a coach in those situations, I had full control over the team because I was actually the in-game leader. I just wasn't allowed to play. Whereas I think uh, okay. I, I think a lot of the coaches sort of lack some lack, yeah. lack being able to make all the calls, you know, because I. Yeah. Um, 100% sure I know some examples from those teams that you mentioned where players will override what the coach says. And yeah, I that's, think that's a real problem. That's what's so messed up in this coaching role. I think it's a really cool, because even when I've been, you know, even some of the North American teams have talked to me about coaching, and it's always just like, why would I, why would I do this? I have no authority in this team. Like, if one day you guys, if like one player disagrees with something I say, and doesn't do it and just says like, you know, fuck Moses, fuck this guy, whatever he thinks and does something else, then all of a sudden like all your respect is lost and that every player is like, yeah, we can just actually not do what he says and you have no control over the situation. So uh, that, that that whole thing with coaching, I think that's a very interesting position that it's that it's putting these coaches in, in right now. Uh, and it is very interesting to hear the different kind of interactions some of the coaches have with their teams in terms of um, how, much, how much input and how much they're allowed to actually dictate uh, mm-hmm. to the team. So one more American team who may or may not be relevant going forward. Uh, CLG, they picked up Garrett, former former Spice coach. I'm not yep. really sure how much of an impact he'll have in that role. I know he was the in-game leader of his of his teams like six years ago when he still played. But you know, it comes with all the issues that we just brought up previously. But he did he did tweet uh, a couple days ago that they finally finally put together the CLG roster. I was just curious if you have any thoughts on that. Obviously, even if you know, you can't name anyone. But should should we still actually consider CLG as an organization, something to look out for in CS, even without Tarek? Because to me, that was always sort of a team built around Tarek, even though he wasn't a clear star player of the team. Yeah, no, it was the same thing for me. And then eventually when, when JDM came back and he started you know, doing the JDM things, it kind of shifted to being kind of centered around him. Mm-hmm. But still, it was very much centered around like one star player. Um I don't. I don't think so. I, they have so many questions up in the air. Uh, yeah, and I just saw a tweet where they're like, "Yeah, we just found our fifth for for CLG. Like, finally, the lineups all put together, and we can be done with this." And I'm just thinking, I don't even know who the fourth is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So they have Hayes, Cutler, and Kusta uh, at the moment. Those are the three I know about, and then Garrett as the coach. But I mean, here's here's the crazy thing. Hayes is in game leading for the first time in his entire career. He's going to switch over towards that. Um, which he's a smart CS guy, but you know there's going to be struggles when you actually take over that role in game. Um, Cutler is apparently going to be the opera moving forward, and Kusta is going to be on a rifle. And having just you know, that, I mean, those are two things where the three players that are sticking around are also like making these big changes. So as individuals, they're making changes, and it's essentially a, a whole new team because Tarek's not going to be playing with them. He's just going to let his contract die. Um, so yeah, I mean this uh, this season I don't think that you can expect realistically I don't think you can expect anything anything much out of them. I think this season I don't know if they'll be fighting to avoid relegation, but I just think that's their goal. I don't I don't know if there's teams good enough to be able to like, you know, beat them consistently enough so that they'll be like the worst team in the league. Um, but their entire goal should just be to avoid relegation, which I think they'll do. And frankly, this is a good example of a team where I think it, I think the only reason this team still exists is because of leagues like E-League, where as long as you do have the slot, you're going to get tons of exposure for the organization. And I, I think changing roles just isn't a good idea. Yeah, Kusta didn't do well, and I know you've been his number one supporter, so it must be... It must be uh, yeah, it's, a bit, it's, a, it's, it's rough out there. <laughs> over there, across the pond. But, I mean, he played really well in the, in the deciding E-League game, right? And yeah, with a rifle, with like yeah. an AK, he went nuts. I, 
But that's the problem, right? Don't, don't you feel like this is one of those classic cases where he just happened to have a good game rifling at the wrong time and he's going to end up changing how he plays? And yeah. once, you know, once the little streak cools off, which it probably did because it's been weeks, all of a sudden you're not doing what you used to be good at and you might not be good at the new thing you're doing. So this is like one of the things how like supposedly top level players, obviously he's not really like a legitimate top level player, but he's one of the better players in North America. Like this is how you drop down to the lower level. It's 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 such a mistake, I feel like, always when players start changing their style, simply because they run into a slump or struggle for a while. And obviously we both know that like the system in Liquid simply wasn't something where he was gonna ever thrive in. So even yeah. though he should have been should have played much better, there's no doubt about it. At the same time, it doesn't mean that he couldn't work in somewhere else. Yeah, I, and I think I think that's kind of the the thing where with Liquid, I think that that has just wrecked his confidence so much. Because even even in Liquid, like he wasn't playing the way that he played um, in Enemy to make everyone kind of say, "Okay, this guy's ready uh, for the for the professional division." And then and then he goes to CLG, and he still seemed to just kind of lack that that kind of decisiveness with his op and his peaking. And, and one thing, one issue that that he has that I've spoken to him. Uh, about is you know he is just really really worried about uh, he doesn't feel like he's always making the right decisions with the AWP like in game in terms of like where to be aggressive where to be passive how to peak um, you know when he's put into certain situations he feels he doesn't make the right decisions and he's he's very correct in what he says you know with the op he, that decision is punished so much more than if you have a rifle. So I think that's that's the one thing that maybe this rifling is helping him is just get a little bit more confidence back because he's right. If you make a mistake with the op and you're misposition and you die, I mean you're you're counting on that op for so much more than just to get kills. It's a very much a positional weapon as well. So you can usually dictate where the opponents are are able to even go with the op. Um, and, and if he makes one misstep with that weapon, that you, you lose so much more than if you just lose an AK-47. Um, so. You know that's something that I would like to see him get back on the op this season. I'm hoping this little experiment with him and Cutler kind of switching roles doesn't work out for much longer than like a week. <laughs> like, please God, <laughs> just just get back on the op, Kusta. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know who they picked up. To be honest with you, I know, I know some of the players they've been looking at. I know they were looking at some players from Premier. Um, you know, essentially going the route of Cloud Nine, where they're saying, let's just see if we can find some kind of player who will surprise us. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to do anything crazy this next season. So I think the the way we sum up the uh, the segment of North America is you just seem over overall you seem a little bummed, probably not looking forward to forward to the second part of the year too much. Considering <laughs> considering the first part of the year with just liquid by itself must have been a huge huge net positive for North America. Yeah, uh, I it's just I'm not so much bummed. It's just like. It's exhausting, right? Like it's just so North American that these teams, Liquid and Cloud Nine, have some success and then are changing a player. So, I mean, that's the big thing is I don't know what to look forward to because I don't know how these teams are going to play it quite yet. It's it's pretty interesting. It's pretty exciting to see what's going to come from these rosters. But at the same time, it's just like CLG's gone. And and when I look at this, if you look at the North American Pro League for for ESL. Okay, so we have Renegades, which is Australian. We have Energy, which is basically German, with Gabi, Legia, Tapson, SK, and Immortals are both from Brazil. Uh, I mean, I mean, Splice is you know Machine Gun, Asilian, Crucial. These guys, like, there, it's really not even a North American league anymore. Uh, and that's been a joke that's been said for quite some time. But this is essentially like half North American, half everything else. 
Um, and, and and realistically, when I look at the teams that are in this, Cloud9 and Liquid are the only teams I see who who currently have the potential to, to, to compete with the top international teams. I think Optic and TSM have made some decent strides, but outside of that, um, you know, that, that it's Cloud9 and Liquid is all we've got. CLG's just dropped off the map now. I, let's touch on Optic and TSM still for a little bit before, before moving on. So obviously both teams did far better in the last couple months than I expected, I would assume also, than yeah. you expected. Um, very happy that TSM didn't instantly jump and make big changes. What do, what do you think of these two teams? Obviously, I don't, I don't think... I don't think the ECS run from TSM is necessarily representative of how they're going to be playing because they did take maps off of some super good teams. But I think people people really overlook how they played at E-League. And that's that's why I made fun of Astralis from the veto and said how yeah. poor of a decision it was to leave Kabul in because anybody who paid any attention at all to E-League could tell that that was the one map, and the previous results as well, was the one map that they could do damage to you on. And E-League proved that they're actually just a solid team overall. Uh, yeah, they, they had some very, very good close matches uh, at, at E League, which was which was very surprising. I think um, Twist and Sick are two two of the you know the next I don't want to say next stars, but they're two of the guys you know that that you kind of keep your eye on from the North American region to see what they're going to kind of turn into, how they're going to develop. I think it's a huge kick in the balls that they didn't that they're not even they're not even in the wild card matchup for EPL for Pro League. Um, I think that's a big setback, actually, for this team. Uh, and actually, while we're on the subject, since we've talked about it with Liquid and Cloud9, would you laugh if I told you that that team might have roster changes? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I already have. Yeah, it's just like what, oh, what the man. hell's going on, guys? So yeah, that that team might uh, might change. Um, this this that one's it's not entirely it's not really entirely TSM's fault. Um, in terms of the org, just a little bit unfortunate how things are turning out right now. Um, but oh, that man. that team, I mean, the one thing that that I don't know about that team, they remind me of. Remember when was it? Energy had that upset over Envy at Counterpit, like really early mm -hmm. on in the year. The one thing I will say about TSM that worries me from them as a team is the only map that I really see them having right now is Cobble, which is obviously a map that they've proven they can compete with some of the best in the world on. Uh, but outside of that, that, that's kind of what the problem. I don't, you know, I don't see maps that they're going to be, they're consistently competitive on against some of the top competition. Um, and then when you also look at, you know, that win over Astralis, and yeah, they've had some close losses to, I think they took a map off Fnatic, but they also lost to Fnatic and SK on Cobble. Um, but that win over they had over Astralis, it's also kind of like now we've seen, much like Envy at the beginning of the year, we've seen how far these teams have kind of fallen from, from where we kind of held them prior. You know, like how much how much weight do you give TSM for winning that when we're watching Astralis is a shadow of, of themselves, you know, this end of the end of the year before before that vacation, you know, they were a shadow of what we thought they were previously. Uh, same thing with Envy, where they're just like, holy, holy shit, when did they get this bad? Um, so it's it is a little bit worrying in that sense. But um, yeah, that's that's just a bummer. The whole roster change rumors with them. Uh, the other team was who? Optic. Optic? Uh, Mixwell's turned out to be huge for them, obviously. I still don't... That team, I don't know if they're going to get any better than they are now if we don't see some kind of significant improvement in consistency from Rush. I think as much as, much as the conversation's on Mixwell, and rightly so, I think Rush is like the next big player that needs to, needs to find some way to like week in and week out be putting up numbers. 
because Stan and Naff, just their play style and Daps as well. Um, you know, they're not they're not going to be the carries for this team. I mean, Daps has his game here and there, um, but outside of that, I don't I don't see any of them carrying the way that Rush Rush can. I think he's going to be the key to that team if they want to be able to take series, not just individual maps off off the international competition. It, it's got to be a big improvement from Rush. And actually, they've also brought Devil Walk in to be coached for them. Um, so, you know, we've seen some of these guys who have coached in Europe who, who don't have like a great reputation for that. But when you put them over in North American on a North American team, that's, you know, not at the standing of European teams, some of these coaches, um, you know, are, are pretty solid. So we'll have to see how devil walk does with this team to change anything tactically. If he can, maybe if he's going to call for this team, then maybe daps can actually put a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more impact to the games. But, uh, I think TSM is right up there with optic at the moment barring any roster changes i think devil walks a good example though um of how some of the americans basically just gamble with these pickups sort of like when him and him and uh, pip were picked up last year yeah and i mean now the splice pickup pickups and also how liquid basically just picked up pimp i mean when i heard that people hadn't really talked to him about how they were going to play and things like this i was kind of just shocked because yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how you pick someone up without talking about all this stuff and trying to figure out how the puzzle pieces would fit together. And I, I think Devil Walk basically is uh, another pickup where they, they saw that he supposedly coached Fnatic. From what I hear, he wasn't exactly coach. He was more of like a motivational figure, something like a Jason Lake, bring me the pistols type guy. Um, as, as opposed to like a tactician actually helping making up, making up uh, the decision on what to do. And I think the fact that Vugo is the one who's still standing behind behind Fnatic speaks for that as well. So I'm yeah. I'm curious to see whether he's actually going to be able to help that team. One thing one thing is that they actually have made strides this year just on their own. So I'm always a little wary of just like changing something too much when they finally found something that's been working. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think. It was it was a weird day when I realized that I had to actually start seriously considering this lineup as like one of the one of the better teams in North America, uh, and, and it, it happened it happened when they when they dropped Shazam. If you remember, Shazam was in this team and they and they dropped him, and this was this was right around Malmo, I believe it was, where there were all the stories about you know players sleeping through uh, the qualifiers for DreamHack Austin. Um, you know, not even practicing for like two months in a row, and I and I remember being pretty critical of this team, and I remember Rush hit me up on Twitter, and he was like, he's like, listen, we've had we've had a lot of shit go against us, and, and he's like, I know, I know, I understand why you're saying this, but like, just trust me on this, like we're gonna be a better team now that now that Shazam's gone, now that we've got some of these issues fixed, and we can move on, and um, I mean, to their testament, it actually it actually does come out that way. Um, but still, I mean, this is just another. I think this is the big example. I want to look something up really quick just to make sure. I have this correct, but um, like, what has this team? This is this is always what scares me with North American teams. Is like, what has this team actually accomplished to get this kind of the kind of hype? And it's it, you know it is the same way with um, same way with TSM. Not to not to just like focus and bash on Optic, but like, what are what are some of like the big accomplishments they've had? Because usually at the moment in North America, we're just so content with like a Bo One win over a European team to just say like, all right, now you have to take that step forward, right? Yeah. No, I so, think that's that's basically it for Optic, right? The map win against NIP, and then they yep. being really close to winning the uh, the deciding beat, map in the series. Yeah, and then qualifying for the major where they beat Flipside and, and Hellraisers and Fluffy Gangsters. Uh, <laughs> so three big wins. Um, I think it looks like they beat. I mean, this is way back at you know the minor for for Cologne uh, at MLG. They beat Tempo Storm uh, in a series. Who's now Immortals. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, they have, they have some decent wins back, uh, you know, that, that's way back. And that's also, I mean, it's immortals. It's not, you know, teams like G2, it's not teams like, um, Fnatic or, or Virtus Pro or anything like that. But uh, I mean, this is the thing that it's all good to be like hyped and excited about this team, like optic and TSM. It's the same way for both of them. It's all good to say these teams have potential and they've shown us something, but very rarely have we seen a North American team take that next step to, to break into the next level of competition. Right. Uh, so I can't, I can't be too excited about them quite yet. So the one final thing I wanted to talk about, we've now talked about E-League and North America, is just, I mean, the fact came out uh, a couple days ago that there's not going to be a major in 2016, which is obviously a big like macro level change, as opposed to what we just talked about previously. So first of all, get your thoughts on that, and then we'll we'll expand on that a little bit. Uh, it's a bummer, but I'm fine with it. I, I, think it, I don't think it's, you know, a lot of people are painting this as like, you know, um, you know, the oversaturation issue, which is real, but everyone's kind of painting this, or maybe not everyone, but a lot of the community is painting this as like the sky is falling for Counter-Strike, right? Um, I don't I don't think it's quite there. And I know I know from talking um, and, and from having some, you know, at the major with some of the devs, and I know Anders had a big, long conversation with them. And the general idea is that they just, um, they just want more time to actually focus on developing the game versus, you know, developing things for the major. Uh, and I think that's the reality is that we all know there's a smaller dev team for Counter-Strike than there is for something like Dota. So the, the small that small team has to focus on the game sometimes as well. Um, and actually, you know, moving forward, I wouldn't even be opposed to only having two majors a year. But I want this Dota 2 format, right? I want this like two-week event. I want, like, how cool would that be? That, that'd be so sick if we were able to put something together like that. Um and, uh, you know, it's, it's not just the majors, it's just the community in general. I think that oversaturation problem really does need to get solved at some point. We just have too many events, too many leagues going on all at the same time. Uh, and it, it's actually insane even looking at the schedule for the rest of this year. Um, so the major in general, I don't, I don't mind there not being a third. The one thing that worries me is if it actually is going to be in January. I don't, I don't know if they've actually picked a date that the major is going to be even if it's going to be in january like november december as holidays as events i don't know when they're planning on running the minor system um because that would mean that, that the major qualifier has to happen like what like mid-january um and you're and you know you're asking at that point for teams to be playing through their christmas break you know there's supposed to be another vacation for christmas and new year's and then you're asking for all these teams to be you know at their top level through the holiday through all these other events and i just don't think that's going to be possible yeah, I mean, traditionally in Counter-Strike, and I know someone in the comments comment section on wherever this gets posted will say, yeah, but they make six figures, they should be playing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, traditionally, teams usually take, obviously, most of December off, probably half of January off, 10, 10 15 days, and then slowly play themselves into shape as as tournament play picks up. And that's part of the reason why, for example, we saw we saw Virtus Pro be so underwhelming at, I think it was DreamHack Leipzig last year, where they yeah. went out with two losses, because it was right after the holidays. And, I mean, it's a, yeah, it may sound dumb that you're playing yourself into shape, but, I mean, that's what, that's what Shaq did with the Lakers, no? <laughs> <laughs> and, Worked for him. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what people do in the real world. Like, if you think you'll be fine, and you think there's a high probability that you're not going to miss out on something by doing, because everybody also is sort of doing it, it's how it's going to happen. And, frankly... I don't think a million dollars is enough to change it because people will people will think if everybody else is also doing it, most of the people will continue doing what they were planning on doing anyways. But then you sort of get like some fake fake results from the fact that there will be some guys who will just completely forfeit their vacation and just play through it and show up in show up in better form than everybody else. Basically, basically giving them an edge over it. And I, I mean, as a player, I would hate the fact 
that I mean I would be one of those guys playing through the holidays by the way but I would yeah. hate I would hate the fact that I'd be forced to do it in a sense I mean I couldn't say no to it because it would make perfect sense but I don't like that we're sort of if the, if the major release in in January sort of forcing the players who have the most drive to sort of forfeit their vacation because I just don't see any reason why it wouldn't why it couldn't be in like late late February instead yeah um yeah, and I mean that's that's the other thing, right? Is like we, there's all the talk about people like oversaturation, getting tired of watching Counter Strike. Imagine being tired of traveling to an event that's across that's like a eight hour flight, three time zones, uh, coming home and having to play your online league or your practices for two days before you leave for the next event. I mean that gets exhausting as well. And I mean I think you can just tell by the sheer amount of players who have like logged zero hours over the past two weeks during this vacation how much these players needed it. Um, like uh, people really, really needed to get away. So hopefully something gets figured out where that's that's not destroying their uh, their holiday. Because yeah, I, I was I'm the same way as you. If you know, even over Christmas break, those two weeks off might not have a team practice, but you can bet I'm still. Uh, you know, I was the guy who was death matching. I was the guy who was you know hopping in pugs and ten mans and, and whatever it might be. Um, but still, that that should be something that's entirely optional up to, uh, up to the individual player. Um, and I think what the last event that I know of is is like um, the third, second, and third week, or the the second weekend in December, like the weekend of like the ninth, tenth, eleventh, and then and then there, I don't think there's any event after that. So um, that's when you'll start to kind of really see the vacation start to kick in. Just to just to clarify, back when back when Jason was attending CPLs with the fake ID, and back when I was <laughs> starting to play, CSDM actually didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, that, I that's remember the, that. That's uh, isn't crazy. that crazy? We we couldn't play CSDM, but we actually had to play pugs if we wanted to play. And yeah, well, you know what? You know what I used to do. Um, I mean, the pugging when that when that started really getting popular in ten mans and everything. Those those were great. And we also had, you know, this is what's actually really funny about that era is you we had we had the club team. So we had like you know I was in SEAL team. One um, G was a club team uh, way back when. What else was it? One Hit was a club team, um, and these these club teams had like different different players from different professional teams on them, um, and like kind of like there were some semi pros, which is actually how a lot of talent got discovered back then was through some of these club games. Um, but those those I feel like were way more competitive. Those like SEAL team versus One Hit, uh, like just like the fun like five on five battles we used to have as club teams were way more competitive than I feel like. North American online matches are right now. I feel like there was so much there was so much pride in like your club team winning that that pug um, that I play, people just tried their hardest. It was like a whole different tournament uh, with no money on the line, so that was cool. But um, what I used to do instead of because we didn't have deathmatching, I don't even remember when exactly that started coming to be prolific. But um, I would join like a pub server on like Dust Two, um, where it was like you know thirty six people, and essentially you would just like. I would just like rush long. I'd be like, all right, I want to, I want to practice, you know, taking long and executing out long. So I would just go long every round. And every time you turn that corner, you know, there's like eight fucking people staring at that choke point. <laughs> so you'd be like, kill as many as, as you possibly can before you die. Um, but then you'd have to wait like five minutes for the next round to start because yeah, someone like would be sitting in a corner. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. Uh, but yeah, there, yeah, that was basically just grinding pugs, uh, pugs and scrims all day long back then. So. It's pretty crazy. I, I've completely forgot about that. I, YouTube wasn't around back then either, if you remember, in like 2003 and four when I was playing. I think YouTube was, what, 2004, 2005 when it came out? Yeah, something I mean, like that. That, I, that was, that's crazy to think about now with how much content is actually put on YouTube that that wasn't even there. Well, you know, you know just the, the crazy thing that I always think back to is just realistically with how CSGO has blown up over the last couple of years, I think the average fan probably only has followed Counter-Strike for about one or two years. 
and then you have people like actual dinosaurs from countries like like you and me who remember yeah. most things that have gone down in, for like close to 15 years and like we actually were attending tournaments more than a decade ago like it's just it's sometimes i think it's really easy to forget just how different the fan base is now because I'm, I'm still used to and i think you were one of the young guys too at the time when you were yeah. like united five so i I've always felt like I'm one of the younger guys, even though now I'm easily one of the oldest guys around. And even later on, I just felt like I was sort of one of like the, you know, average age guys. Like I was never the old guy in my playing days. So it still feels still feels weird when when you think that there's so many like 12 year old fans. I think the one time that you actually realize it when you see that someone's born in like 2002 or something like that's when it really hits you. Yeah, it's it is pretty strange to see that that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't even. I can't even really comprehend it. Uh, there, we, what, there was that one Reddit post, I think it was yesterday where it was up, where it was like, um, I've been playing Counter-Strike for longer than the devs probably have or whatever. Like, you know, I've been playing Counter-Strike <laughs> since like the 1999 betas, like when it was released. So, you know, I've been playing longer than most of the devs, you know, have, uh, yeah. which is just crazy to to think about as well. Um, well, I mean, you, yeah. I, at this point, you, you've basically played Counter-Strike for longer, for more than half of your life. Like, that's the... That's yeah. the crazy part when you think about it, like how big of a part of your life it's been. Yeah, that actually is pretty nuts. Almost exactly half. You know who I, I, I spoke to uh, was, you remember Kevin Rosenblatt, Lethal? Yeah, um, I still speak to him every now and then. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's out. I was just in Burbank last week uh, to record something, but he's out there working for ESL. And I was telling him they need to like, uh, we were talking about some of the old CPLs and all like the crazy, crazy retarded things that would go on at those events. And um you know, I told them that ESL just needs to white label, like entirely white label, uh, like a CPL type event where, you know, you have the same kind of mess going on. Like, you know, the, the kind of like when we were that young, like that was probably the first beer I've ever had. You know, the first cigarette I had were all at CPLs and like all the crazy stuff that went on. If ESL just did one of those, that'll never happen. But a CPL type event would be a lot of fun, I think, these days. I, I think so, too. I think one of those like massive events where. You pay and you sign up and you play. I think that would be really fun. I, I really wish someone just put together like a 64 team tournament, not like a not like a sketchy BYOC type thing where you rent computers like Copenhagen games, like actual like real tournament like CPL. Yeah. I, I hope someone puts one together in the next one or two years. And I think that's something where where you could potentially get, you know, some of the really old guys coming out and just playing for fun. I mean, they, they would all suck. But it would be yeah, really absolutely. fun from just from the social perspective of seeing a lot of the guys you haven't seen in seen in forever. Shit, I'd go. We we'd make a team. Yeah, we, we could, could get we could get make a called it like two thousand four. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? All right. Get Natsu in there as well. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think this is probably it. Uh, like we said, a lot of the fans are now you know from the last couple of years. So. If they want to hear about history, they probably have something to read about from the Second World War or something. They don't have to listen to, <laughs> they don't have to, listen to us talk about the first years of Counter-Strike. But it was great having you on. Uh, we'll, yeah, thanks, we'll Tom. Surely, surely do this again once there's something more to discuss. It's just too bad that none of the roster changes wound up going through. I was sort of delaying the next podcast to try to get some of them in to be able to talk about that. But, you know, luckily you have the North American angle. So you can at least break down what's going over on your side of the pond. Yeah, we'll we'll see what comes of it. Um, yeah, that's gonna be really interesting to see how some of the. I mean, it also just to see them play with this first week coming up, and then like I said, Northern Arena I think is gonna be the big one, which is early September. That that has a lot of cool teams at it. Um, so that'll be like the first big glimpse of tournament play for some of these new rosters. Mm-hmm. All right, 
in that case, uh, thanks for thanks for showing up, and we'll stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tommy. Cheers.